Okay. Matt from the Hotbox. It's now 2.40 a.m. This is the last one I'm doing tonight. This is part six for y'all. This is the Department of Agriculture speaking, of course, at the Helena, Montana Medical Growers Association Conference uh, back in September. You'll hear from Beth, who's with uh, Pest Management Bureau. Uh, the website for their info is agr.mt.gov. Uh, they talk about nursery licenses, seeds, and pesticides. So, enjoy. And been with the department the last three years. Our main responsibility is uh, have to oversee the health of nursery stock in the state and overseeing the plants moving in or around the state as well as out of the state and coming into the state. Um, I'd like to introduce both of them to you. This is uh, Beth Iring right here. She's going to be giving us a presentation on exactly uh, her responsibilities here in the organization. Bureau, and we have many different little programs within the Pest Management Bureau, and the one that I'm in charge of uh, predominantly is the movement of plant material throughout the state, out of the state, uh, plant material and also commodities like wheat, and I believe this is how, um, this is where you guys are going to fit into our department. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, our nursery program. So. Our nursery program, um, you need a nursery license if you're either buying, selling, reselling plant material. And when I'm talking about plant material, I'm talking about propagated plant material. That's all that, that my program is concerned with. So if you're a firm nursery plant dealer, um, buying, selling, it's, it's mostly plant material for sale that you're you know making money on. The definition of nursery stock is kind of a, an important thing for this because um, we want, needed to rule out some things like uh, seeds and wheat and alfalfa and things like that. So when it comes to nursery stock, it's basically just <coughs> propagated material that you're, you're selling for profit. We have a couple of different nurses, nursery licensing categories, and it's on a sliding scale. And again, it depends on gross annual sales of just nursery stock. The four categories are less than $1,000. We had legislation that passed this uh, previous session, um, and that category is a free category. The next one is $1,000 and $3,000 in sales of, of just gross annual sales of nursery stock, and that's um, $25 application fee and then $50 for the license. And once you're in our system, you just have to renew every year, and then you just pay the licensing fee. The next one is three dollars to $10,000, which is $125 license and 10000 or more, which is a $160 license. And also, um, just keep in mind that if you're late on your renewals, we, we do charge $25 for a late. Hey, Beth. Mm -hmm. um, with respect to the nursery stock, uh, just to the folks in the industry understand, would that be actual plant material, or would that be medicine being sold? No, nope, not medicine. Okay. Just plant material. So I believe what... Nope, not leaf clippings. There's a question. Right, so if I buy in little pod pack things, little clones, mm -hmm. that's and I pay five dollars a piece for those. Yes. And so then they have to, and I get, I'm allowed six, so they have to call thirty or have thirty dollars worth of sales, right? Yep. And then. That would be yep, and and it depends on you know how much you sell in just that. So. Right, so so if I say I'm only going to be a thousand, because at the end of the year and it's a little more than that, 
can I say, oh, geez, I want to pay the extra money, or are you going to find me today? No. <laughs> um, we just ask for your best estimate for a year to get you in the system. And then after you, you know, you're kind of, after a couple of years, years, you'll figure out where you kind of fall in this, you know, tiered system, and then you can move up and down within the system. Oh, okay. But it's on a yearly basis. So you buy the license, and then, you know, the next year, then, you know, if you did sell a little bit more, then you would bump up. What is the estimate? Is there a, how long does it take for the application to be processed? Um, it's it's pretty quick. Once we get your payment and you're in our computer system, although you don't have the license in hand, we consider you to be licensed. Uh, we do our licensing through another agency called One Stop Business Licensing, and it takes them a while to print the actual licenses. So if there is a, a point, you know, in that that window where you haven't, you know, you you've paid but you haven't gotten your license. Just call me or call someone, and we can, you know, in our agency, and we can let you know what your license number is if, you know, if you needed it for something. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of an online guy. Sometimes, is there any way I can do a lot of this online and then pay fees online, or do I have to come physically to a central center to register, or how do I? Sign Unfortunately, up? it's not online just yet, uh, but um, you can email me and get the nursery licenses online. And then you just mail in, or you can phone in payment oh. with a credit card. Also. Oh, so I can find the forms. Yep, you can find the forms, forms online. Yep, on our website, agr.mt.gov. And I've also, in the back, I put um, a couple of packets together that have all my slides, which has all the information on it, along with the nursery licenses. Uh, you can also, you know, email me or call me. And I put the business cards back there as well. There's a question. The nursery license, is this something you'd have to do? You get a business license also? Yes. Separate from business license. Mm -hmm. Yep. On, uh, I walked in a little bit late a second ago, so does this fee, what does that cover? Is this is a fee that the state charges to issue you a license or to, to get this license? Does the state oversee any part or get involved whatsoever with what it is you're doing? Well, the $25 application fee is just a processing fee. And the license fee covers inspections. And um, when it comes to inspections, we're, you know, we're still very new at this, and so we're kind of working on a process of how we're going to inspect you guys. And um, kind of all that I can really say at this point about it is that we are working on our inspection process as we're speaking right now. Okay. <laughs> Just plant material for sale, so pro propagated plant material. Life for sale. Yep. So, uh, well, I living, think, living plants for sale. Yes, yes. The, how I can kind of relate it, I think, is that it's like a like a tomato plant. So it's the plant itself, but we don't, you know, we're not charging the license fee for the tomato. If okay. that makes sense. Now, can can I? Is there a differentiation between me buying a two-inch clone or a two-foot plant? No. You know what I mean? No, there isn't. Okay. I think it's the same thing as you know buying a four-inch potted plant or a tree. Right. We're it's basically it's only related to the gross annual sales of nursery stock. We whatever it is, it's just the nursery stock. So okay. just to copy it. Yes. More questions. Yeah. So here, <laughs> to, to never sell anything other than cured medicine. 
we wouldn't need any of that license. No. If you're not selling plant material, you do not need a license. Or a nursery license, I should specify. Sorry about that. I think you covered this, but that doesn't count seeds, right? No. You're only talking about live plants, not, yes. not seeds. Um, Amy Bamber's going to talk about, we have, it's hard for us right now because this is so new to us, we have a bunch of little programs that sort of really to you guys, and so that's another one of our separate little programs. Um, so if you're in the less than a thousand category, like if you only sell $30 worth a year, do you still have to put in for the license? Yes. Okay. Yep, you still have to get the license for the <coughs> Oh, she was wondering um, if you sell, you know, thirty dollars in plants, and it's, you know, a free license. You do still need to get the license, and yes, you do. Would it still be beneficial for you to get the nursery license, even if you weren't selling propagated plant material? Um, she asked if it was it would be would be beneficial to get the license even if you aren't selling plant material, and I guess my response to that would be not really, because if you're if you're not selling plants, we um, you know, we would probably come to do an inspection and there, you know, there would be nothing there. So, I mean, with regards to pest control, I mean, you guys, the Department of Agriculture would still come in and help you out? If you needed help from us, you could contact us. We would definitely, you know, we have the ability and the, you know, the places where we can get you if you needed help with something. But as for that, you know, that's kind of separate from the nursery license. Do you guys have a difference between root of plants and cuttings that you're not root of plants? Mm -hmm. My supervisor, Patty Denke, is here also. We need help with that one. <laughs> if it is a propagative part, it doesn't matter what it is if you're selling it. So if it's a cutting that's going to be rooted, or if it's a pot full of a plant, both of those are nursery stock. In non-marijuana uh, nurseries, the inspections that you have with them, how often are they and what do, what do they attend? Um, we get to the nurseries in the state about once every three years. And we go in and we have a, a checklist of things that we look for. We're looking to see if there's any you know, large-scale insect or disease problems. We kind of take note of what plant material people have. We have a lot of quarantines, or I guess not a lot, but we have a few quarantines on some items or some you know, things that can come to the state, like barberry is one of them, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it has a, um, uh, something that can affect the wheat industry. So we you know, try to, if they have barberry, then we give them the information on this wheat disease as well. We're looking to make sure that things are labeled, that they're you know, in the correct size pot, things like that. Is that a license fee an annual fee? It is, yep. And it's is not it like, you can upgrade, but um, if you, it, what I tell people is that if you get, you know, give us your best guess the first year, and then if you want to upgrade the next year, then upgrade the next year. And this isn't, it depends on, um, the renewal depends on when you license. So if you license in October, it's gonna always be in October. It's not like a, you know, calendar year or fiscal year. So does that mean that uh, caregivers who give their patients do not have to give them away? They give them away, do not sell them. 
I think we have to ask Donna. We need some clarification in our laws for that, for right. that question. But if you want, grab my card in the back and, and I can get back to you on that one. <coughs> Any other questions on the licensing? Okay, I'm going to move on. So we do have, um, you need separate licenses if you have different multiple locations. And I don't, I don't know enough about you guys to know if you are growing in a lot of different locations or if this would even relate to you. So I'm just going to kind of cover it real quick and then if it applies to you, then you know, you'll have the knowledge, but if not, then you can just let it go, I guess. <laughs> so if you have multiple locations and in just plant material, if it's $10,000 or less, you only need one nursery license. But if you have multiple locations and they're selling $10,000 each or more in plant material, then you would need separate nursery licenses for each location. Just to clarify, plant, yep. by plant material, you mean live plant material? Yep, living, propagated material. Living, mm -hmm. <laughs> your yep. raw, rooted something. Yes. Yep, leaves, your medicine doesn't relate to us in this program. Right, right, right. You're only concerned about rooted and Yes, right. exactly. Uh -huh. If you were contracting for someone and uh, just say at the end of the cycle that they received the whole plant, Mm -hmm. rather than uh, material, mm -hmm. would, that would fall under that, would it? because that's still a plant? If you're selling it to them, then yes, it does come no, as a plant. No, you're not selling it to them, you're growing it for them on contract. Okay. <laughs> it's my contract plant, course. my buddy does a better job of really raising plants, uh -huh. he's going to raise it for me. Okay, yep, I, I understand. I think this is another one of those areas where I'm going to need clarification in our law, unfortunately. It's a gray area. Right. Yeah, we're, we're I would say that you're more than likely selling that plant if you're drawing it to them. You know. yeah. So yeah. you're probably falling underneath that uh, legislation. I think that that's one that would have to be answered by someone up the line a bit. Yeah, we need, sorry about that. Well, I don't know that that's so. I think, I mean, I I think, think the definition falls under whether it's alive when you're transporting. He's a worker for the that, what, Is this the definition whether it's alive when you're transporting it? Whether it's being sold. <laughs> right, so if, like, if, well, if it's alive, I'm saying like if, he, if, he's selling a, if he's selling the whole plant, all he's got to do to not need that license is to cut it off, right? Put it in a bag and hand it. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. yes. Just, just curious. Right, right. Cut the stem off. We have a lot of questions. I, yeah, <laughs> that's okay. Okay, so uh, how to apply for a nursery license? There's two forms that you need: the nursery license application, and then we also ask that you fill out an affidavit that just basically states how much you're making in sales. And we do this so that um, we kind of keep people honest in those categories. Something that everyone has to fill out. We ask that you you only need to do it once if you're going to stay in that category. But if you switch categories, like if you want to go up or down, we ask that you fill out another one. Um, I do have some nursery license applications and <coughs> affidavits in the back. You can get them from our website. You can email me directly. I email people the applications all the time, so don't worry about if I get a lot of emails. Um, it's my job. And again, you know, it's run through a different state agency called One Stop Business Licensing through the Department of Revenue. So the money actually goes to them. So don't send the check to Department of Ag. It goes through through another agency. Talk a little bit about insect and disease identification. 
we don't have the capabilities to get um, microscopic. Uh, we can really, we really have, we just don't have that technology at the Department of Ag. So if you have something that you're not sure what it is, then you can get it to us that's, you know, visual or we have, you know, we can kind of look a little closer with, we do have a couple microscopes. Then um, get us the, the bugs directly. The best way for you to um, get diseases or, or I guess, I mean, you could, with some smaller insects, we might be able to identify, but best way to do is give us a color scan. Um, please don't ever send us um, plant material. If you want to see a bunch of state employees freaking out, send us some plant material. Um, <laughs> the scanning is a really good way for us to get, a, you know, kind of a general idea of what you have, and we can get you, you know, to maybe the, the correct person who can help you with, you know, finer identification. We, we work with a lot of different agencies, you know, throughout the United States, and we do have a lot of contacts. So if you have something that you're really not sure what it is and you have no idea who to go to, maybe send us a scan and, and we'll, we'll work with you and we'll help you get to the right people. So here's kind of our general contact information. Our entomologist's name is Ian Foley, and he's really good with beetles, and he loves beetles, so if you ever find a beetle, send it to him. Um, I'm the nursery specialist, and Patty Denke is our, um, she's our supervisor, program manager. And I also put our attorney's number in there as well. He's really good with the laws and interpreting, you know, our specific nursery law. And actually, you know, if there were questions, you know, we, I would probably either go directly to him or refer you to him. He's really busy with the legislature, though, so with the next session, he's going to be incredibly busy. So if you send him an email or call him or something, he doesn't get back to you right away. That's just to let you know he's not, you know, trying to pass you off in any way. He's just really busy at this time of year. Um, also, in the back, you know, I have copies of the slides, too, so if you don't want to frantically write down these numbers, they're back there. Um, our website, um, <coughs> oh, I guess I put the email address on there instead. It's agr.mt.gov, and that has all of our programs in it, and you can also find our contact information there as well. So that's kind of all I have for you guys. Any other questions for Beth before she finishes? Here. I've got a question as far as the pest control, et cetera. What's your turnaround time, and would people be better off to go to like MSU and send it to their lab? If you wanted to go through MSU, that, that's or great. That's probably who we would work with. We're pretty quick when we get, you know, things, because we know how important it is to people and commodities in the state, so we are good at moving along with things. But if you do have your MSU contacts, you know, feel free to go ahead and use them. Mm -hmm. Is there any way we can use our local county extension office for that, or, or are you connected with that? One? We are. We're, we're sort of, we're related, <laughs> I guess you could say. And I'm, I'm sure they're under the same regulations, you know, as a, you know, for bringing plant material to them. So, um, well, they're not, not real uh, enthusiastic about helping out. <laughs> I, I, I took spider mites down there. I'm from Valley County. Oh, okay. Yeah, I took uh, spider mites. And okay. They told me I deserved it. Oh, oh that's horrible. Well, bring it to us. Bring it to us because you know we're we we want to stay. You know we're kind of progressing with you guys also, and we want to stay ahead of this too. And so, you know, if you do run into that, bring it bring it to us, and and we're you know we're going to help you get to the right place. So, sorry about that. I had never know what you're going to say. What about seeds? 
Amy's going to talk about that a little bit. The three of you know why I'm here on Montana Advanced Caregivers. We discovered or came across the hemp russet mite. Mm -hmm. It's also known to possibly um, go dormant and go within a seed. People aren't aware of it. Mm -hmm. Seeds are extremely high in calories, fatty acids, proteins, perfect for a bug. The nursery license and stuff since this covers inspection, you said also past disease. If this is something you guys are not familiar with, yet this is going out there, yet your hands are tied because you're not federally funded, mm -hmm. and you don't have the microscopic technology, you just said the spot is a seven nanometer long thing that the devastated crop in a matter of days. Um, how do you check or go about going about seats? The University of Indiana got their seat, let's say, out of Nepal or India. India, yeah. And it wiped out the University of Indiana's complete campus <coughs> research program. So I was just wondering if, you know, aside from the state saying that one person or one facility, if they got wiped out, sterilized and got wiped out again, and the professor told us we have to move out of the building. Get rid of everything. So let's say that's already out there now. How do we go about it? Because I know you're looking. I'm looking at my screen. Yeah, I know where you're looking. And I don't expect you to have the answers. The only reason why I'm stating this is to make everyone else in the room aware of what they're going to be. Um, what they're going to. Yeah, what's, what's coming. It, it's called uh, a couple of. Apocalypse. Thank you. Apocalypse. Yeah. Cannabis. Well, I've been calling it the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> it's devastating. And, um, you know, it's out there already. Yeah. Not only, we, we can track it in somewhere, but we put it out there probably by the clones, genetics. I know of other caregivers that acquire their genetics. And, um, it's not just going to affect this state, it's already gone to other states. Washington, I've gotten reports from Humboldt County region and small I know the labs don't check for the bugs around here, they check for THC, CDC, different chemical <coughs> contents. I'm just wondering if I know what I have to face. I'm just wondering if you have any um, suggestions to anybody else in the room if they encounter this, which they are going to, whether they realize it or not. Where do they turn to? Or are we going to be the specialists? <laughs> because basically, what it is is it's something that can come along, and you know, in the earlier session, they were talking about caregiver to caregiver transfers, amounts, things like that. So now you have a facility. We've got a 3,500 square foot facility was basically wiped out. We have to take everything out, get rid of it clean house, completely bring new genetics in and start over. Well, that doesn't do our patients. And that's really what it's about. That's why we're there. That's the only reason why we can do the things we can do is because the patients allow us those six plants per patient to be able to produce the medicine. Well, now, if I can't house any medicine or I can't have any of these things that we have going on now, I, I just think it, the, the discovery of this test in our industry 
is going to change the way we have to look at things towards this legislative session because it's going to ch it changes the whole ballgame, guys. You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'll admit, I grew for 30 years before I started doing this legally. You know, I've never ran into anything like this in my life. Absolute pain ball. At, at this point, I'm going to, um, this is kind of getting out of my areas of expertise, I guess, and Amy Bamber's jumping at the bit to, to give you guys an answer, so I'm going to pass it off to Amy Bamber. Keep in mind, Amy is uh, enforcement compliance with respect to everything that we may or may not do within this industry. And Just pesticides. <laughs> Just pesticides. <laughs> um, Yes, so my, my answer to you is that this is very typical for any kind of commodity. You know, wheat's got it, soybeans got it, canola's got it, everybody's got their like horrific thing. And so the main thing that you have to start doing in as uh, positive a way as possible is encouraging MSU to get their federal exemption so that they're allowed to do research on this plant, okay? You need help. We're not gonna, we're regulators. We're not gonna do this research. We're not gonna figure this out. You need your state land grant university to step up and start providing you a service like they do for every other commodity group. About that, and, and you know, we have seen, um, for instance, chickpeas. That industry came on really strong in Montana, and they ended up getting this um, fungal disease, and it wiped them out so hard that it's, a lot of growers will not grow chickpeas anymore. And it's a great crop for our state. And so, having a serious disease um, issue early in your industry is, is really a, a problem, and you need to start pushing really hard to say. We need the legislature to pay attention, and we need MSU to start serving. And this could be very well the same thing as chickpeas, because the, the information that we've found from the studies that are published, and a few unpublished things that we've acquired, states that the, a lot of growers that have problems with these hemorrhagic mites, they have the uh, Aculops cannabidola, is, is the specific one, they changed breeds of marijuana that right. they grow because as we noticed in our facility there was a bunch of plants that didn't get touched. Mm -hmm. We took everything out. We didn't want to have a microscopic so yeah. we could get everything out. Yeah. But you notice that you've got a big purple star which is on the crossword puzzle here in Montana. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on a purple star they didn't touch. I mean we had this huge beautiful purple star and there were no signs. We were taking clippings, looking at them under the microscope, nothing. There's a few other strains in there. So that's kind of what they suggested to us, like Billy, when we got a hold of him. He's like, you're going to have to change what strains of marijuana you grow, um, where you grow it. I mean, he, he, he gave me like the absolute, the world's going. Right, but that's so smart. I mean, at least at least you were able to um, at least in your situation identify resistant varieties, and and then what you're going to either need to do is MSU, or you're going to have to hire a researcher to do plant breeding and to start looking for resistance. I mean, pretty much any agricultural crop, you're going to have resistant varieties. 
you know, you can just go anywhere and buy resistant to this or resistant to that. So you need that too. What's up? Well, you're, you're with the pest side program, correct? Yep. So when encountering something like that, I mean, I'm aware of this one group or everybody else's word, but people treat their plants with different things, you know, but none of that, they're not, they should be aware, has ever been tested on medical marijuana. So if you encounter something, that, that's one reason why we destroyed everything in, in the building and went to sanitizing and steaming and heating like a mushroom cultivator does. Um, is that what you're going to suggest yeah. anyways, not to spray? Because <clears throat> what I'm going to do is I'm going to get through these seed slides that somebody made me put onto my presentation so I can answer some seed. I, I'm not a seed person. I want to whip through these, and then we can talk about pesticides, okay? Because that's what I like to do. Jason didn't mean to interrupt you guys. Oh, no. Come on, I've got a presentation here, okay? Um, so this came from our seed program, um, and the question is, who needs a license? I think I can kind of summarize this for you. Um, essentially, I don't know if seed conditioning comes into play yet, um, but if you are a grower who's producing marijuana seed, and you are producing all of your own seed, and you sell that seed, and you exceed $5,000 in profit from that seed that you produced yourself, you need a seed license. If you are getting seed from other growers, from other entities, and you're packaging that and selling it, and you're selling it and you're making more than $1,000 a year, you need a seed license, okay? The seed program essentially protects growers to make sure that they're getting the seed they think they're getting, they're getting the varieties they think they're getting, they're not getting weed seeds in there, it's clean seed, all that kind of stuff. So it's your kind of guarantee that, that everything's working the way it's supposed to. That's what the seed program does. Currently, they don't think that anybody's in that range, but that's based on very limited knowledge, so they have no idea. So if you are into that range, $5,000 of your own seed or $1,000 of anybody's seed that you're selling, you need a seed license. These two folks, John C. Kelly, this is a little hard to read, sorry, the darkness, um, and kind of Halloween-y. <laughs> I think she must have done that on purpose. John C. and Larry are, are two seed folks. I put their cards on the back table. It doesn't say seed anywhere on their cards, so you have to remember John C. or Larry. You can grab their cards and they'll help you out, okay? Any questions that I may or may not be able to answer on that one? It's not my area. Okay, this is what I like to talk about. And so pesticides are so huge. They're such a huge universe. I thought there's no way. I started doing this presentation and I didn't even know where to begin. So um, I'm beginning at the end, right? I'm done! <laughs> So my first thing, I really need to say thank you to the community for coming forward. Chris Lindsay and Tom Dobear, um, Jim Gingrey have all been in our office talking with us, um, asking me questions, sending me lots of emails like, okay, I went on this forum and this is what they said, or I asked this question and this is what they said. And through that process, I've learned that for the most part, this community is very isolated. 
Um, when we're looking at other states where they're growing, they're very isolated, um, and they don't have regulatory people to talk to because the answers I was seeing out in this forum world were wrong and badly wrong, um, fr to me, frighteningly wrong. And that's the information that's moving around in that area. So by coming forward, we can get better information to you guys, and you can make sure you're doing the best job you can. So I really appreciate their willingness to come forward and talk to us and invite us to this conference today. We appreciate your help. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think that Montana model that they were talking about earlier is, you know, we're, we're really easy to, we're all together, right? So no big deal. We can work together. Um, and then the next thing I thought, well, let's just start with questions because I want to make sure that you can leave here today at least having some answers to what you're interested in, and then I can kind of key off around that. So, um, so who's got a question? Okay, say we've got spider mites. What can we do legally to take care of the problem that won't hurt our patients? And from what, from what I understand, there's nothing. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, um, but if that's the case, what is tobacco use? Granted, it's not a medicine, but it's smoked. It's smoked. Okay, great. So you, you brought up like five really important things there. <laughs> One is you do have pests, and I know that there's a need for control. Um, and that kind of goes into the, well, what can you use? What is a pesticide? How are they regulated world? Um, for the most part, you cannot use any federally registered pesticides. Zero. None. None. So what you're doing there is you're looking for something that says EPA, R-E-G-N-O. EPA, Reg, No. EPA registration number. That's the term that you need to look for. It will be on the front page of the label, right, usually on this left side bottom. EPA registration number with a number. If you see that, put it back. We go to marketplaces, we see what they're selling next to the hydroponics, and there's a lot of EPA registration numbers there. But just put it back. And <clears throat> the reason is because pesticides are regulated a lot stronger than the general public knows. And every single um, component of that use has been evaluated from a risk-benefit analysis through the registration process. Your use has not been included ever. Nobody's ever included it. So there is no understanding of what's best for the patient. That was the other good thing that you brought up <coughs> in my communications about this. They're more interested in the spider mite. And it's like, well, you can't be interested in the spider mite because you're creating a commodity for really sick people. So you have no idea what this pesticide is, how it, what's residue is, how it's interacting with the very strong chemical components of the marijuana itself and what it's going to do when you're inhaling it. In inhalation is not looked at in the pesticide registration process. Um, if you're using a dust, they consider it, you know, or a vapor, you know, a, a pesticide that's got a lot of vapor to it, that's considered for the handler or the applicator, but inhalation is not considered, except for tobacco, as another great thing you brought up. And as a chemical company so handily said to me last week, tobacco is smoked by healthy people. <laughs> and I went, okay, <laughs> I don't know, I suppose, but they're right, 
it is, you know, anybody can smoke tobacco. They're not, it's not targeted to really sick people. When you put really sick people on the other end of that process, chemical companies are not interested in that liability. That's just how do you pinpoint all these different interactions in a body and say one's from a pesticide and one's not. They wouldn't be able to defend themselves. So your big companies and your big guns are pretty much off the table. And I know from um, some of the forum stuff, a couple of those big guns that I just want to mention, seven, Carbaryl, just don't go near that. I've seen that being listed as being used. Um, foggers, people are referring to foggers inside. I want to just speak to that for a second. Pyrethroids are generally not that toxic to humans compared to their predecessors, but indoor use of those foggers is surrounded by misuse, and people have been dying around the country because they're not being used properly. So, you, And that's not the end user, that's you, the applicator, or your worker who went in. So make sure you understand. Don't, don't use those kinds of products. You're way far away from where you need to be if you're using those kinds of products. The other side of it, or what you may be familiar with, that do not say EPA registration number. And those are what we call 25B products. <clears throat> and in the 90s or 80s when EPA redid the pesticide law, they included a list of active ingredients. So on that list of active ingredients, there's like peppermint oil and citronella oil, geranium oil, things like that. And they made this list, and they said if, you, if you're using these active ingredients, um, we don't want to deal with them, right? These are minimal risk, reduced risk, minimal risk pesticides. The thing that I, I want to caution you about is that not, none of them have been looked at from this standpoint either. So me, I would never recommend that you use them. You can make that choice yourself because legally you can't. They are not intended for smoking by sick people. Nobody knows what that means. Um, and it might seem benign, but the potential for residue to get into somebody's lungs just seems really disturbing to me. So I, I would just be really cautious. There's one other kind of category of products that I've seen um, that are used as pesticides, but they don't mention pests anywhere on their product, or they don't say that they control any pests, or they don't talk about pests at all. They might talk about leaf shine, something like that. They're avoiding the registration process. Like, there's that neem oil product that is used that way. Neem oil has to go through the federal registration process. It costs millions of dollars to go through the federal registration process because you've got to define all this risk. So they're totally avoiding that. So you have no idea what you're getting on the end there. Just want to say that out loud. Okay, what can you do, right? Um, so. Thank you. You can kill every all your plants. Of course, we totally are recommending integrated pest management here. Best management practices, changing clothes, keeping a clean facility, quarantining new plants, all that stuff. Just yeah, That's your religion. That's what you're going to go on. That's all you've got, really. I do have some positive responses from EPA regarding the possibility of getting some labeled products for you. 
And one of the things that I've been thinking would be most useful is probably the neem oil. Um, and it's got an active ingredient as a chitin or something as like that. As a directin. Um, as our entomology person would know. Yeah, so that's the azadiractin is like the active part of neem oil. So you might see that or you might see the neem oil. I'm not telling you to use neem oil at this point in time because I have no idea what that means. But I do think that there's the chance that we could get some research done um, that might support that registration. I know there's interest elsewhere. But I just want to tell you again, thank you. I mean, this we're the first state that's even gotten to that part of the conversation. Like, California's never even gotten there. They have no idea. Just a quick question. You, you talked about the, uh, smoking or ingesting in the, into the lungs. How about the ingestibles, the, the, the suckers, the body butters, etc.? Could you use some type of uh, pesticide that you were talking about if it wasn't going to be inhaled into the lungs? I mean, Oh, oh, yeah, and now that's a brand new thing for me. Like I heard that just this morning, there's now lip balm or salve. And, yeah, I didn't know about that. Um, you could, I, I don't know. There, that's a really good gray line because you've got cosmetics, which are totally unregulated. Well, that'd just be another use that maybe they could use some of the plants that have been, I mean, I can tell you one thing you've got on your side is that marijuana plant parts are approved as grass. Not a joke. <laughs> that means generally regarded as safe for livestock forage. So that is one, that's a huge thing for other commodities trying to get grass. Um, it's really an impediment to them being successful financially. For you, your endpoint is um, profitable enough, I'm guessing, that you don't need to worry about that. But that is an op so that is one thing that you totally have in the clear. You are approved for use plant parts for forage. With respect to, uh, if someone were to, your department was to come in, they got a license, and came and inspected their facility, uh, you saw that they were using something that wasn't, was a registered EPA product on their plants to prevent either a fungicide or a bug. What does the department do from that point forward? We would have to quarantine that. I'm pretty sure we would have to quarantine the product, the commodity. Again, that's something that's never happened before, but there's no tolerances. That's how we refer to that. That's the language. So we, want, we need to see a tolerance for a pesticide to be in a product at the end. And so that says if you're using this pesticide, you're allowed to have this little bit of residue in there at the end. And since there's not been any tolerances developed for marijuana, for any active ingredients on marijuana, it would all be adulterated, would be the other term we would use. And this is really interesting. I've been thinking about this in my head. What would we do? We, we would not want that allowed to go to the end user. So we would have to quarantine it. But then in that quarantine process, would we be responsible for taking care of the plant I don't know how that's going to work. Could you speak to the, uh, the use of systemics at all? Uh, I know there are some that are are good for food products, like you can use up until like the day before harvest. Uh, yeah. But there is systemic, and rather, and usually we find that in a miticide. Uh, what, what, what do you think about that? Systemics for us, it doesn't matter. 
honestly, that's just a method of application and a mode of action for the pesticides. So you still need the tolerance. But you wouldn't have a residue on it. Sure you would, inside the plant material. It, yes, but... Uh, that you smoke. Well, what if it was an intestinal? I mean, if it's good for a food product... Okay, yeah, no, this is... This is, this is one of those ones that comes up a lot in the forum, that if it's approved for use on food, it's okay to use. This has nothing to do with food. But, but if you use it as a food, exactly. If you use it as a food and it's a 25B product and the product label says that you can use it on food, then you're okay. It's got to be a 25B product. It has to have all food preps on the label. Food crops on the label. A lot of times those 25Bs will only specify certain foods. So well, you this would... particular one specifies tomatoes. Right. See, that's nothing. You're <laughs> not eating tomatoes, you're eating hot. <laughs> They're not the same thing. But what's the difference? If you're, if you're ingesting, not smoking, the, the product... The plant metabolism and all that comes into play. So the, that company is not supporting that use. Essential. Well, they don't, they don't say it, you know, obviously. Why? But it's, I mean, it, it's, uh, well, number one, it's not even available.